You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Welcome, friends. As you've seated, can you please grab your Bibles and join with me in Isaiah chapter 26. Uh, Thank you for that sweet time of worship. Each uh, service this weekend, my heart has been blessed by it. Thank you for joining in me as we praise our God. Uh, Christianity has a rich history of artistic uh, music sung as worship to God. Uh, This song we sung is a little older, uh, at least to our uh, context. And uh, along with this song, Be Still My Soul, that we just sung, uh, Great Is Thy Faithfulness is another uh, song that is really ministered uh, to me and that uh, really makes, uh, gives my heart joy. Uh, If I asked you this question and wonder what, how you would answer, what is a a favorite song of worship uh, that makes your heart sing for joy? that we sing here at Harvest, maybe that you hear on the radio, what's one that you enjoy? Um, Another song that uh, I remember first hearing when I was in high school, and it was actually the song that my wife and I uh, danced to for first dance at our wedding was the song called Only You by by David Crowder. And when I first heard that song, that was one of the first times that I learned what it was, as the scripture says, to make melody in my heart uh, to God. Uniquely, the expression of Christian worship is not done in rituals or chants, but through song. We have hundreds, literally hundreds of songs within the Scripture. And I I really believe that God likes it. God loves it when we sing. When we read the book of Revelation, we get a window into heaven. And what we see is um, nonstop singing. Now, would you agree with me that uh, God is the type of person and has the type of power that if he didn't want something done, it wouldn't be done, right? But they are still singing, so he must like it. Moreover than just God enjoying the song that we, you, we sing to express worship, um, songs bless the community of believers. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be filled by the Spirit, admonishing one another, how? In psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, making melody to your heart, in your heart to God. And now the passage that we're considering today, Isaiah 26, is itself a song. And it is going to provide to us today uh, reasons uh, why we can today sing. Yet who would be willing to be honest with me by show of hands and say, sometimes at church, hard to sing. Who would be, am I the only one? A few of you, thank you, Victor. Yeah, a couple times, no cheer, no joy. I might read what's on the screen, but as soon as it passes my lips, it hits the floor deflated, empty, and, and I understand that. And I hope today's message from Scripture is going to be sympathetic to all of us um, wherever our heart may be today. And I believe, if you would let it, it will be encouraging and upbuilding because um, the summit of Christian faith is worship. And we uniquely 
express that worship through song. So indulge me, okay? So that you take some ownership in this. There's a note on the notes that you're handed, a line on the notes that you're handed as you're coming in that says, I blank have a reason to sing today. Or maybe you're taking notes on your iPhone or uh, in a journal. Um, Indulge yourself, indulge me, take some ownership yourself. And just, could you write your name in there? I, Jason Locke, I have a reason to sing today. And whether you, you feel that or not, just indulge me and do it right now. But whether you feel that or not, I believe that if you will let it, this message will motivate you to have a heart to sing today. So as we do to honor the Lord God, uh, could we stand together as we read his word? Isaiah 26, verse 1 to 6. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvations as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, low, lays it low to the ground and casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the, feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, uh, we recognize that we are in need of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Christ himself said that the Spirit um, would teach us all things that Christ would give him, and that Christ would be glorified in our hearts through him. So, Father, if we are going to join into the eternal song of praise, today we need your Holy Spirit. We need your Spirit to readjust our minds, to realign our minds, to recalibrate our emotions, and do it with the Scripture, Lord. Do it in my heart that I might not be anxious or restless, but at peace with joy and song in my heart and on my lips. And do that for all of us too, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, I, we, have a reason to sing. Uh, Here's the first reason. Um, We have a reason to sing because we have hope. All right? Look at your, back of your scripture. The first three words are going to demonstrate to us the context of this passage. It says, verse 1, in that day. All right? That day is a uh, reference that Isaiah is using to something that he consistently spoke of throughout his prophetic writings and that uh, many of the prophets also uh, referred to and that Jesus and the apostles themselves spoke of. Um, It's that day is... The day of the Lord. Has anyone heard in the reading of Scripture that term before, the day of the Lord? Anyone? Yes? Some? A few? Okay, good. Now we have a time of teaching so that we can know what the day of the Lord is. All right? The day of the Lord is referred to, as I said, by all the prophets, Jesus and the apostles. And it's this. Write this down. That day, the day of the Lord, is a day of judgment. All right, if you look back briefly at Isaiah 24, verse 21, it says this. 
On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days, they will be punished. Now, this prophecy is explained quite clearly in Revelation chapter 20. You can write that reference down and read it yourself later. It's the day when all people who have died and all people who are currently living will be brought before the throne of God and will be judged for the deeds they've done. And those whose names, by faith in Jesus Christ, are written in the book of life will enter into paradise. And those whose names are not because they did not believe in Jesus Christ, they will be cast into the same place that the devil and all of his demons are cast into. Revelation uses language, death, Hades, hell, and the lake of fire. Uh, it, it's, it, it's unavoidable. Um, inescapable. Death, taxes, uh, I mean, some places don't have taxes, and the day of the Lord's coming, and it won't be avoided. Yet, I specify that I hope that this message would be one of encouragement and comfort, and it will, because the day of the Lord is not just a day of judgment. That day is a day of fulfillment. If you're taking notes, write that. That day is a day of fulfillment. What will be fulfilled? Well, what will be fulfilled on that day is the promise that God will establish his kingdom and Jesus Christ will be its king. Isaiah 25 verse 8 says this, He will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away, uh, will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now this language is used by the Apostle John when he wrote Revelation and Revelation 21. Revelation 20 is the judgment. Revelation 21 is the fulfillment. Listen carefully to this, because this is important. If you want to memorize a passage of Scripture of this, pick Revelation 21, 1-4, because all of human history... Maybe some streams of history in one nation have gone that way. Maybe some streams of human history have gone that way. One day, all streams of human history will converge into one river and point one direction, and it is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Listen, listen carefully to this, Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, this is our hope. This is the great hope hope of the church. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Church, you have a reason to sing today because you have hope. 
If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the hope of the kingdom of God. And it is a promise of the future, but Jesus Christ said it is also a promise for today that we can experience the fullness and the wholeness and the completeness of life in Christ through the Holy Spirit as we follow his word and his way. Yet there's a couple wet cheeks today still, aren't there? Right? In the future, he's going to wipe away every tear, but now we still experience pain. We still experience suffering. And I believe that one of the prime reasons um, we choose not to sing or are unable to sing is because we um, displace our hope. Our expectations are directed not towards what God has promised, but towards what will pass away. And I think we actually need to reclaim the word hope in the way that we use it, because I don't think we use it appropriately, and I think it really does injustice to our faith. Okay, so even now, I really like um, audio tech stuff. I subscribe to a lot of uh, tech reviewers online, and that really started when I was a kid. And the first real tech thing that my family had that I liked was, was this mobile listening device. Anyone recognize this? This is, uh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so that, I was young when uh, I had that, but you probably had something else when you were young, so don't judge me for this being the thing that I had when I was young, okay? But I, <laughs> this is a Sony Walkman Sport Edition, AM, FM, radio and I still very distinctly remember the clicking sound that that blue mechanism made when I pushed it back and forth and sometimes I would like push it back and forth too much and my parents said Jesus stop that it has a limited lifespan anyway but I uh, as I grew up um, I started buying CDs and with my uh, own money or with allowance and I wanted my own um, mobile playing listening device and um, this next device that I bought was st strictly and wholly because <laughs> yeah advertising worked for me when I bought that like I saw the commercial and it was like I need that right and I loved it and it was great same thing those two chrome things on the edge when you click them back and forth has this really soothing clicking mechanism but I could play them and I loved it and then but eventually um, new technology started coming out and then my cousin had like a mini disc and I was like oh my goodness you can have like a hundred songs on that little thing and then when I got into high school this next device came out that pro every family had at least one of these right the iPod mini right and there's like oh my goodness I need that right but technology keeps coming out and the next thing keeps coming out and Okay, so that, tell me, uh, that desire that I had for the next best gadget thing, is that a hope or is that a wish? Tell me. Yeah, that's a wish. But too often, we call things like that hope. I hope I'll get an iPhone 7. I hope I get a new car. I hope I get the right mortgage. This is really important for us to know if we're going to be able to sing. A wish is the uncertain, expecta uncertain expectation of receiving what I want. Conversely, a hope is the certain expectation of receiving what God promised. That job that you've been waiting for for a long time, you ain't guaranteed it. 
I know you've applied to maybe like 10 different schools, but you got the number one, and those are all fallbacks, and if you don't get number one, you're going to be so upset. You're not guaranteed it. That mortgage that you want in, the, in that house that you want, in that area that you want, someone else is going to get a bid in before you. We lose joy and can't sing when our hope is pointed towards things that will pass away and things that we actually should be wishing for. That's not hope. But here's, here's the promise that God has made us. While those things are passed away and those things aren't certain, God's kingdom is guaranteed. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, sell your possessions and give them to the needy. Provide yourself money bags that do not grow old with the treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, tell me, there your heart will be also. And if your heart is in things that will pass away, you ain't singing. But the kingdom is secure, and God's promises are sure. Let's put our hope in the right way. Let's put our hope into what God has promised. And therein, we will have joy to sing. I got another reason for you why we can sing to get today. We can sing. We have a reason to sing today. Write this down. Because we have salvation. We have a reason to sing today because we have salvation. I'm going to keep reading verse 1. It says, In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong... Okay, so the song starts. When the, when the quotations start, the song starts. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Okay, tell me, um, with your words, tell me, can, can you remember a city in the Bible that was known for having big walls? I heard, yeah, Jericho. I heard a couple of people saying that. Big walls. In ancient cities, um, walls equal protection. Walls equal uh, security. And Jericho's walls were so big and so strong, it took a miracle of God to tear them down. Israel didn't have siege warfare like the Babylonians or the Syrians did to knock their walls down. God had to do it. Walls equals security. And in this song, Isaiah is telling us that the security that the people of God have is our salvation. We, because we have salvation, we can sing. And that salvation is secure. There is more security in our salvation than the strongest bodyguard, than the longest password, than the thickest vault, than the largest army. It's sure. The gospel is not some ethereal, metaphysical theory. It's true. It's grounded in history. It's secure. But I'm going to say something now that's really important, and I'll actually say a couple times this sermon because it is that important. Either positively or negatively, what you feel 
about your faith today does not determine the validity of your faith. You may lack assurance of salvation. That does not mean itself that you lack security in your salvation. The proof positive, historically verifiable evidence that salvation is sure and secure is that Christ has risen from the dead and the tomb is empty. That ain't changing no matter how you feel today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you may not feel it, but before faith, before faith, we were all sinners. By faith, we are all saints. Before faith, we were condemned to wrath. By faith, we have been justified and are found righteous. Before faith, we were objects of wrath and children of wrath. By faith, we are objects of mercy and children of God. Beloved. And the same eyes that the Father uses to look at his only beloved Son, he gazes also upon you. And you might not feel that way today, but that doesn't mean that doesn't affect anything. It's secure. It's impenetrable, unshakable, unassailable, fortified. And it will always keep you forgiven and secure. And you know what's beautiful about this salvation? Not only is it secure, but it's accessible. Look, look at verse 2 again. Verse 1 says that, the salvation is like walls. Verse two, verse 2 says, open the gates. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. See, see, walls provide security, but gates provide accessibility. Walls provide fortification, but gates provide invitation. And you, friend, may be here today and you're just curious about the faith. You wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Know that these walls also have a gate and that salvation will open to anyone who repents of their sin and believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even you, even today. Repentance is a change of mind. To be saved, one must change their mind and acknowledge what is true. Like every human being, we have all broken God's laws, are sinners, and are condemned to wrath. But if you would admit that honestly, as I have and as all who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus have, if you would admit that, then believe that Jesus Christ suffered God's wrath so that you could be saved from it and forgiven. Admit that you are a sinner, and in believing in Christ Jesus and confessing him as the Lord of heaven and earth, you, in a moment, will be saved. And in the books of heaven, you're not under the red and debt. You're in the black because you are declared righteous and forgiven and freed. 
it's accessible by repentance and faith. In this moment, speak to the Lord. In this moment, you can be saved. And we have a reason to sing. It is secure. Moreover than that, not just because of hope, not just because of salvation, but also we have a reason to sing today because we can have perfect peace. If you're taking notes, write that down. I have a reason to sing today because we can have perfect peace. Let's keep reading verse 3. It says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever, for our God is an everlasting rock. Now this peace, this perfect peace that the scripture talks about, um, is different likely from the way that most of us understand peace. Most of us understand peace as just the absent, absence of conflict when every like, pageant uh, woman gets up and says uh, that for the question period, you're just like, what do you think that would make the world better? World peace! What they mean is like no wars, right? But that's not the peace we're talking about. The peace that we're talking about is um, not just the absence of conflict, but it is wholeness and harmony with God himself, with others, and within my own mind. Now, I like being honest at church. I hope you do too. Who would be honest with me and say, that peace, that peace is hard to come by. It's rare that I experience that peace. Yeah, I see a few people and then other people who apparently have no stress and no anxiety. Congratulations, <laughs> would you like to preach? <laughs> no, I really believe when the <laughs> Galatians chapter 5 talks about uh, different attributes being the fruit of the Spirit, I really believe that peace is the fruit of the Spirit that is in season least and spoils quickest. Kind of like an avocado, right? It's not ready, it's not ready, it's not ready. Oh, it's spoiled, can't eat it. <laughs> Maybe, I had a great time. I had a great time in God's word this morning. I read Acts 3, verse 7 to 9 at a sweet time praying. And then I was sitting on the pew over there during one of the songs. Like, how am I going to say this word? How am I going to say it the right way? And I'm freaking out. And then we sing, be, be still my soul. I'm like, right. Peace is hard to come by. Interestingly, while salvation and hope are something that God himself exclusively sets up, and it's evident in the language, it says he sets up salvation, peace is different. It says you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Um, uniquely, differently from salvation, which is exclusively God's work, peace requires my participation. But in what manner? In what way? Well, in the same way that an eagle flying at heights only needs to spread out its wings and let the air currents do its job. It won't even have to flap a feather. In the same way that a captain at sea would only need to let down his anchor in a storm and let the anchor itself hold it secure. 
in the same way, what God will use to keep us in perfect peace is a mind that stayed on him by trust. I think if we, if we had a list of like top 10 most memorized Bible verses, I'm pretty sure Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 would be on there. So if you know it, can you say it with me? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So we have these two options. Um, I'll lean on my own understanding and get crushed under its weight or admit that I can't control my anxious thoughts and acknowledge God when I can't hold on anymore. We can have perfect peace. When my anxious thoughts are too heavy to carry, a mind of trust will acknowledge God. Now in a moment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say what I believe are four common ways that anxiety is caused. And they're common ways that are um, really our fault. We know what we should be doing but we think we can control it ourselves. And there are, are common ways that we distract ourselves and we really bring our own restlessness and anxiety and stress upon us. Yet, um, God really rebuked me this past week as I was studying. Um, we're talking about a message where the Lord's word is encouraging us all, myself included, that we can sing, we can sing, we can sing, we can sing, we got reasons to sing. And then I read this verse in Proverbs 25, 20. He who sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who pulls off a garment in winter or like vinegar on soda. And I gotta admit, I've, I'm, I'm guilty of that. Uh, ask someone that knows me from youth or young adults ministry, ask my wife. I'm a very expressive person, um, and both in my joys and both in my sorrows, they're very pronounced. Um, also, I have experienced, uh, even in the past six months, um, deep bouts of sadness, um, but I know there are many, even many here, who have experienced deep valleys of depression. And I haven't, I haven't experienced that. And I'm very expressive. And um, sometimes people like me in the church can be very guilty of um, trying to help but actually hurting. In that while trying to encourage a depressed or anxious person to sing, what they're actually doing is imposing their own expression of worship upon someone. You gotta sing like me. You gotta raise your hands like me. Why are, I'm not anxious. I have Jesus. And it's like pulling someone's coat off in February. Let's be a people that is sympathetic uh, to those who are struggling. Uh, let's be a people um, who are patient and kind, because if we're not careful, we will, we will hurt each other. Yet, 
regardless of what scenario we are in, um, and regardless of how deep your valley is, what you feel about your faith doesn't determine the validity of your faith. You may feel a lack of assurance of salvation. It does not mean you lack security in your salvation. You may lack peace of mind. It does not mean you lack peace with God. And far be it from us for imposing an expression upon other people and making them feel like they're less of a Christian than we are. Yet, regardless of where you are, we all can trust because God is trustworthy, an everlasting rock. Now, that, that word that was spoken there, that might have been for many of us, but here's another word for, I think, most and the majority of us who bring our anxiety upon ourselves because we're just foolish and proud. Like I said, there are common ways which we, instead of acknowledging God, we lean our own, on our own understanding and we get crushed under it. And I think what we do, like Martha, we distract ourselves. And here are four common ways that I think we often distract ourselves and don't deal with our anxious thoughts instead of acknowledging God. Here's one. Uh, we distract ourselves. Martha's the prime example. We distract ourselves with busyness. Right? Is that you? You, you might have told your wife that um, you, you got another late night in office, but actually you're too um, fearful to try and resolve the conflict you have yesterday, so you're going to work later. As long as I have to work, I don't have to think about it. This one was me in high school, this next one. We distract ourselves with laziness. Don't have to worry about getting the paper in if I sleep through class. We distract ourselves with laziness. Also this, uh, we distract ourselves with entertainment. As long as Netflix keeps pumping out the shows, I don't have to f deal with my anxious thoughts. And then this one also, we distract ourselves with pleasure. We feel so overwhelmed with our anxiety, so I'll just put more alcohol in my system, put more drugs in my system, more sex, more food, I feel so numb, I just want this, but I'm not willing to deal with that. These things we bring upon ourselves. You don't need to be crushed under the weight of your anxiety. God is an everlasting rock. If you give up control, he'll hold you secure. When we lean our thoughts on him, that is when God will keep us in perfect peace. That is when joy will be restored. That is when I can finally unzip my lips and open them up to praise God. We can have perfect peace. God is trustworthy. Here's the last reason that we have to sing today. Are you ready for it? We can sing because we have hope, because we have salvation, because we can have perfect peace. And then this, we have a reason to sing because we will triumph with God. 
we have a reason to sing because we will triumph with God. Let's keep reading the passage. Verse 5, it says, remember, this song is about God setting up a new city, but in setting up a new city, he had to first actually tear down an old one. Verse 5, it says, For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, low to the ground, casts it to the dust. So the lofty city that God is talking about, we understand from chapter 25, verse 11, that it's the city of Moab. And Moab is used by Isaiah, so that the original readers will know that who God's going to cast to the ground is the, the arrogant enemies of God. We have a reason to sing because God will triumph over the arrogant. Moab was a city that, a nation that mocked God and oppressed his people and tried to destroy them. And they're being used here to represent all people who are enemies of God. Think of any atheist you see on TV. Think of any militant regime across the world right now. God's going to triumph over them. And he will triumph over the arrogant with the oppressed. This is beautiful. Verse 6 says, the foot tramples it, tramples the dust of the enemies. The feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. Isaiah considers that those who were oppressed by the enemies of God, when God's kingdom set up, they're going to walk over the ashes of those who oppress them. That means that Christians have nothing to fear. Uh, there's a picture that's going to go on the screen. Anyone recognize this gentleman uh, that you're going to see up there? Anyone recognize this gentleman? So uh, this is a pastor from um, Mississauga. Obviously, he's not in Mississauga in this picture. Um, he is a missionary or that went to uh, North Korea and uh, got arrested uh, and is serving a life sentence and is uh, forced to do hard labor. Uh, McLean's just put an article updating his story out uh, two days ago. He says this, North Korea has se has, says it has discussed the issue of a Canadian detainee with a Swedish ambassador in the country. Hyun Soo Lim, a pastor with Light Korean Presbyterian Church of Mississauga, Ontario, was sentenced last December by a North Korean court to life in prison with hard labor for what it calls crimes against the state. How insecure does your government have to be that you think one man's going to topple your whole government and say it's crimes against the state when you're preaching about Jesus, right? Pretty insecure guy up top, don't you think? Lim, who was in his 60s, has been held since February 2015. He was convicted by Pyongyang Supreme Court for allegedly trying to use religion to destroy the North Korean system. Insecure. And US, uh, helping U.S. and Southern authorities lure and abduct North Korean citizens. All right, so in Canada, we don't really, we don't experience this. And it's wrong to compare apples and oranges um, but this, um, this here is called the World Watch List by uh, US, uh, Open Doors USA. It's a, it's a report that this nonprofit Christian organization puts out every year tracking the worst places of um, oppression uh, against Christians across the world. Uh, North Korea is number one. Uh, listen briefly to this. It says, a North Korea heads the world watch list for the 14th consecutive year now. Kim Jong-un has uh, continued to consolidate his power, and no changes or even improvements have been seen in the reporting period. This is 2016. 
Christianity is not only seen as the opium of the people and is normal as is normal for all communist states, it is also seen as deeply Western and despicable. Christians try to hide their faith as far as possible to avoid arrests and being sent to labor camps. And the world watch list um, estimates, because it's hard to get a lot of news out from North Korea, but it estimates that between 50 and 70,000 Christians alone are in these labor camps. And that's to say nothing about what's happening in Iraq and what's happening in Syria. I read Acts chapter 7, as I told you in my devotions this morning, and um, Stephen was stoned. And while rocks were um, raining down on him, he turned to heaven and said, forgive them, God, for they know not what they do. But y'all better be sure that a day is coming. God could save Kim Jong-un. God could free this pastor. But y'all better believe that a day is coming where if he is not freed or King Jong-un is not saved, that this pastor and all 50 to 70,000 and the hundreds of thousands in history that are oppressed under communists, under dictators who mock God and try to destroy the church, y'all better believe they're walking on the ashes of North Korea and the ashes of the Islamic State. So we have nothing to fear. How much more do Christians in a free country have the confidence to speak the name of Jesus in any public square. Yet, like myself, like myself this weekend, how hard is it for us to say the name of Jesus? What do you have to fear? And that fear, that'll keep you from singing. But when we are fearless, and when we remember the promises of Christ, Promises like Matthew chapter 5, where he said, and Pastor Paul just preached this a couple weeks ago, Matthew 5, 11 to 12, blessed, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Lord, let that might be my heart. Let that be ours, that we would rejoice and be glad for a reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Christian friend, um, I know you, you may have been ostracized at school or work or in your family. What, what do you have to fear? You're not even being oppressed by them. We will triumph. Let us open our mouths and speak the name of Jesus. Let us open our mouths and praise the name of Jesus for there is no higher name and there will be a day. How many knees are going to bow? Every knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus... Let's show them how we do it now, all right? They don't have to see an example in the future. We'll show them how we bend the knee today and praise Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise God. you got a reason to sing, church. And each one of these things, each one of these reasons that we have, I falter in each way. I can put my hope the wrong direction. I can be, I'm very insecure often and care more about what God, uh, others think than what God thinks. 
I, I feel a lot of anxiety. And I can be a lot very afraid. I don't play guitar often. I have a guitar, and I learned to play guitar, and I know five chords, and I got a capo, so I can play any song, right? But um, I'll pull my guitar out maybe once every three months or so, but because of just, um, because of the temperature in my home or because of the air pressure or whatever, and you know what, if you play guitar, um, the strings over time just naturally either lengthen or shorten, and it's out of tune. Um, and if I'm going to start playing it right away, it's going to sound really bad. But when I get a tuner out, and tune the strings to the correct pitch, then I can play a beautiful song. And in the same way, let Isaiah 26 tune your heart to sing the praises of Jesus. Maybe your heart needs to tune back, be tuned back to peace today or tuned away from fear today or towards hope Let it tune you. Trust in the Lord. If we would lift our eyes up and see the hope that we would have, we will have a reason to sing. And be sure, the summit of Christian faith is worship. And uniquely, song is a great expression. Is it not to praise our God? So would you stand with me now, and I'll pray, and then we're going to sing. Praise to you, Holy Father. Glory to you, Lord. You are the lamb that was slain. Uh, God, I falter. I fall. Thank you that your gospel is my, my legs. Thank you that your spirit is my life. Though I suffer under my own sin, thank you that you keep me secure. Thank you that you give me a reason to sing. Thank you, Lord. You say, let us offer up uh, sacrifices of praise, a lips that acknowledge your name. And Father, tune our hearts with hope, with salvation, with peace, with fearlessness, that we would sing to you because you are worthy of it. No other name but the name of Jesus. No other song but the song of Christ. No other anthem but the anthem of the gospel. No other love, no other joy, nothing. We ascribe the highest and the greatest worth to you. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.